You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, guys, good morning. Um, let, me just, let me just start by praying over some of you. We just, we just sang this morning, Hold On To Hope. Let me just speak that over you. Jesus, we hold on to hope, and we know that hope is you. I think it's Hebrews says that he is a sure and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Lord, I just pray for an injection of hope into the lives of people where things and circumstances and situations seem hopeless, but we hold on to hope. It's the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. You are at everything, Lord, and I pray this morning, open our hearts, open our minds, increase our sensitivity to you and your presence. We love you, we're for you, we want to know more about you, and we want to fall more in love with you. Embed your presence in us and upon us. Soften our hearts to you, Father. Amen. Somehow, um, time's kind of flown by a little bit, and for Steph and I, this is our last Sunday with you for a while. We're about to go on sabbatical. Um, we're we're going to miss you. Uh, obviously, we've got the weekend away next weekend. I, I feel like, if I'm honest, I need a sabbatical just to recover from what's going on with the football at the moment. So please do me a favor and just don't talk to me about it. I can barely handle it. But um, just a couple of things just to mention before we jump into just uh, the final week looking at reflections on the book of James. Just three quick things. Firstly, I had the privilege of going with some of you to the Vineyard College uh, retreat this weekend. And I just want to say the Vineyard's alive, you know. We're in a good place. There's some very exciting stuff happening. And for many of you, I just want to highlight that there's a training and development section on the website. Some of you are going to want to consider what your next steps are for you personally, but also as you invest in all God is doing, not only in you, but this church and for us in this city and beyond. It's an exciting time. The the second thing is um, we're not just doing this because we're going away. But for a while, uh, we've been considering and thinking with some of the team that our intention is to run this August as normal. We've often taken a break, uh, but we acknowledge as more and more people come towards us, particularly those who are exploring Jesus, taking a break makes no sense to them, and it's quite difficult relationally. It helps us as we were a church plant, and it gives people a rest and time to recuperate. But um, this year, not just because we're away, but we felt it was time to switch it, and so things will run uh, fairly as normal. And then the third thing I just wanted to mention is um, the week before last, Steph and I had the absolute delight and privilege of spending uh, a week in Israel. And I think there's so much I I could say about that time. There were so many almost life-shaping moments that brought so much color to to our faith, to to our Bible reading. Um, but I think a number of times, even prior to going, but particularly while we're there, we're just floored again by the grace of God. And I... I, I would say both of us, but we were just undone again by the grace of God. We stood in Nazareth in locations that Jesus would have been learning and listening and reflecting and absorbing. And then there's this little synagogue. It wouldn't have been the one that he was in. It would have been rebuilt. But we're sat there listening to the scriptures being read. And this, this one actually wasn't the one they were reading, but one popped to 
mind, and I want to read it to you because I was kind of whammed by it all over again, if I can use that word, because I couldn't think of another. But it says in, in, in Matthew 13, it says this, uh, verse 54, he returned to Nazareth, his hometown, where he taught there in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own town and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles because of their unbelief. And I guess one reflection I just wanted to have is, is we're a community that is changing all the time we do, because we don't come as we are. Sorry, we do come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We change. We, we're people that hopefully are seeking to be more like Jesus. And we're laying down our stuff and we're taking up his stuff and we're seeking daily to become more like him. And we're desperate to have greater displays of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And yet, so often it's so easy to pin other people into where they were rather than where they could be. You know, oh, so-and-so is like this, or they did this, or they do this. And I have often sadly heard stories of people who have left a church because the church they were in couldn't see who they were becoming. And, and instead had locked them into the person that they were. And it, it's really actually quite heartbreaking. And I bump into people who knew me when I was 20 years ago or knew me even five years ago. And they'd see me as I am rather than, sorry, they'd see me who I was rather than who I am. And I, I would say I've changed beyond belief. In fact, you wouldn't recognize me 20 years ago. Of course you wouldn't because Jesus has and is and will keep changing me and I want to invite him to mold me and to shape me and we we want to be and we need to be a community that is known for its grace there's there's quite a few different views on uh the how many people lived in Nazareth in in Jesus's time but the figure actually is really low it's like lower than you would expect I think some of the highest figures are around 500 and um I guess my point in saying that is in that number of people everybody would have known him. Like, everybody would have seen him grow up and they would have, they would have had thoughts and opinions on who he was and, and who he wasn't. And I just want to remind us, I think we have to be so careful with each other. We have to daily renew grace for each other. Because in that situation, they scoffed at him. Isn't he just the carpenter's son? We, we know Mary. We know his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters live here right among us. Where did he learn all of this stuff? And they're deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And, and then in, in Israel, we go and stand on the, on, the, on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and we stand in the spot where, um, I guess, John 21 was written basically where Jesus tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat and they catch a load of fish and they could barely haul in the catch because it's so large. And uh, then Peter realizes that it's the Lord standing on the, on the beach and he jumps into the water and he heads for the shore because he can't even wait for the boat to get in. He's just got to get in. He's, he's going to paddle and he's going to make it back because he's so desperate to be with Jesus. And then Jesus cooks them breakfast and Jesus asks Peter if he loves him three times. 
And Jesus led Peter through this experience which would remove any cloud of doubt, of denial that had previously happened where Peter uh, denied Jesus and three times and Jesus asked Peter if he loves him and Peter answers yes. And Jesus tells him, well, feed my sheep. And I think it's one thing to say that we love Jesus, but the real test is our willingness then to serve him. Jesus, sorry, Peter had repented and here Jesus is asking him to commit the rest of his life to his work and his ministry. And Peter's life radically changes when he realizes who Jesus is. He moves from being a fisherman to an evangelist and his identity starts to change from actually this hot-headed, hot-headed guy to somebody on which Jesus will build the church and he calls him a rock. And he's, he's changed and he realizes that he's forgiven and he finally understands the significance of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. The grace of Jesus is breathtaking. You know, and I, I often reflect on it just personally with, with my dad. He kind of screwed his life up beyond belief. And the week before he died, I had the joy of leading him back to Jesus. But he'd spent many, many years on the run. But he'd also been on the run from the church because he'd found challenge in the church because he was often in environments where he'd screwed things up so badly and burnt so many bridges that to offer him any chance just didn't really seem possible. And so that in itself just kept him running. And I think there is this huge tension between truth and grace, and yet we've got to try and find it and we've got to try and hold it. Some of you need to know again this morning the grace of God. Honestly, it's, it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond anything I've got words to, to explain. But we often need to remind, be reminded that we, I, we can box people in. And we don't want to be people that limit people by their prior and previous behavior. We've got to believe in redemption. We've got to believe in what could be. And I think actually even what we're going to look at today is going to unfold some of this. But let's just look at today, um, James, as we continue this series of, of, of faith that. That's what we've been looking at, faith that. And today is, is really this, faith that acts. And extending grace is part of it, I think. It's part of having faith that acts. It's part of having faith that is lived out and does something. Because what we get to do is, is we get to be people that because we've received it, we extend and we show and we know and we live in grace. We're a community of grace. Let me um, <clears throat> just have a brief look at James 2, 25 and, and 26. And if you don't catch it, this is the main point, I think, of what is happening here. As, as an example of faith and a recipient of scandalous grace, Rahab feared the sovereign God. She risked everything then for the spread of his glory. Let me just read to you James uh, 2, if I can find it. It says this, James 2, uh, verse 25, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And uh, I think there's, there's kind of three things I just want to touch on and draw out this morning. And it's, it's kind of this. Rahab was this recipient of scandalous grace. Rahab feared and therefore revered the sovereign God. 
And then as a result, Rahab risked everything for the spread of his glory. And last week, I was kind of using Abraham as this example of genuine faith that produces works. That's kind of the, the little segment and the passage before this. And now in verse 25, James says, he says this, he says, in the same way, which is basically he's not introducing a new truth. He's given us another example of saving faith. And the example he then uses is Rahab. And I, I'm well aware that for many of you, Abraham's story is one that is really well known. And yet often Rahab's is, is potentially less well known. So I just want to kind of give you a little recap of her and her life because the people of God were ready to take the promised land for the glory of God. And the first major city in that land was was Jericho. And so Joshua decided to send some spies into the land to scout things out. And what I'd love to do, I realize it's a bit long, I'd love just to read you the whole of, of Joshua too. You're going to have to bear with me because it is a bit lengthy. But we've kind of got to get the snapshot of understanding so that then we can use it as a springboard for where we're going. But uh, Joshua 2 says this, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Asia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men sent out came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I didn't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she'd laid out. So the king's men went looking out for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up onto the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We were all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord has made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did in Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my, fam with my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all their families. We offer you, sorry, we offer our own lives as a guarantee of your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape into the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you've let us down. 
and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be be here inside this house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on these people inside this house, we'll accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Hopefully, if you, you can retain it, that kind of gives you the backdrop and the, the context, but Rahab is a prostitute. And somebody who lived that way at that time also often had the role of, of like kind of like an innkeeper. Their house would have been a common place for people to stay. And so the spies entered Rahab's house, and she protected them from death. So when the people of God took the city of Jericho in Joshua 6, she and her whole household were saved. So why is James talking about this prostitute in the New Testament? I I think there's three reasons, and they're kind of the ones I mentioned. She's a recipient of scandalous grace. She feared and revered the sovereign Lord, and then as a result, she, she risked everything for the spread of his glory. Let me just unpick each one. Rahab is this recipient of scandalous grace. Let me just, for for some of you, almost just highlight some of the contrast and the differences between Abraham and Rahab. You see, Abraham was the patriarch of the Jewish people. Rahab was a prostitute in the middle of a Gentile nation. Abraham was a friend of God. Rahab is living in the middle of God's enemies. Abraham was a great leader. Rahab is just a common citizen. Abraham was the top of the social order. Rahab is what you could say the bottom of the social order. It's scandalous grace. And then we read, and you could read in Matthew 1 verse 5, we see in the genealogies of Jesus, it says this. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obad, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabite woman grafted into the people of God in the Old Testament, and she's listed in the genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament. And according to Matthew 1, Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, why, why does all that matter? Why aren't that, isn't that little bit in Matthew 1 just a load of names that we normally skip past because we don't understand half of them? What, what kind of thing is going on? What kind of family tree have they got? Well, God, the holy God the God of the universe, took a prostitute and brought her into his family, into the family line that would ultimately bring us the Son of God, Jesus. Scandalous grace. I don't mean what he did was in any way an immoral way, but the grace that shocks us by reaching down into the least likely of lives and pouring out incredible mercy. Praise be to God that he's reached into my life and he's reached into your life and he reaches past our gross immorality 
and he extends his arms across our filthy sinfulness and he draws us into his family. We are, I am, a recipient of scandalous grace. Romans 7, 24, Paul says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the king eternal, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Luke 5 verse 8, Peter sees something of the power and the holiness of God and it's, it's almost too much for him. I kind of really deeply resonate with this. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees and before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Verse 9, he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others. Verse 10, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. Of course, they left everything and followed him because they've just seen the miraculous supernatural power of God. But they've come face to face with his scandalous grace if it's going to change his life it's going to change not just his career it's going to change everything and I think we're called to be the same we always need the moment of like hang on a minute like I kind of just want to pause there and we all drop to our knees and we just say thank you 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 Jesus thank you for loving me thank you for saving me thank you for rescuing me do you, do you kind of get it, what's going on here? I'm like, the fact that he would save me, he gave everything to get me, and now in response, I give everything to him. How, how, almost how could I not? I'm, I'm not my own. I was brought at a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I was reading that this week, and I, I hope you would know I'm, I'm already in. But I'm, I feel like I'm in all over again. Because he loves me. He loves me. And he loves you. He loves you. It, it doesn't... No matter what you have or you haven't done, he loves you. It's, it's scandalous grace. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Romans 6.15, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God 
Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we've given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin. You've become slaves to righteous living. We don't want to be people that use this remarkable grace to stay in sin because grace really is a pathway to freedom, to live sold out to Jesus, and he calls us to it, not just for ourselves, but actually to be that as a community. We're a community of grace. And yet I'm reminded so profoundly, Matthew 13, they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary and his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live here right among us. Where did he learn all these things? I, I, I kind of want to say this. We let Jesus change our lives and we step in to freedom. And we're no longer defined by people that was or were. We become new creations in him. But we also offer that to anyone and everyone that we interact with. Rahab was a recipient of scandalous grace. You, I, we're recipients of scandalous grace. Second thing is this, Rahab feared and revered the sovereign God. Remember what Rahab said to the spies. She said in uh, Joshua 2 verse 11, when we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above and earth below. You know, actually, it's kind of fascinating. I don't think necessarily Rahab had a lot of information. A lot of what she had was more hearsay, stories she would have heard about the people of God walking through the Red Sea on dry ground and being delivered by God against foreign enemies. But the little she heard and the little she knew, she believed. She knew Yahweh is the God of heaven and earth. She knew that he was sovereign over all things, and she knew that she was accountable to him. Rahab knew judgment was coming on her and on her land, and yet she feared and she revered the sovereign God, and she was willing to take a risk as a result. It's a radical step of obedience, and because she believed. It's, it's quite remarkable. And I guess my question is this. When, when, when you believe in God, when you come to an understanding of this scandalous grace, are you willing to risk everything as a result? Friends, I think this is really actually the gospel, if I'm honest. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He didn't just die to call you out of something. He died to call you in for something and into something. And I'm, I'm in all, all over again. Some of you, I think you need outlets for this. I mentioned the training and the development thing on the website quite intentionally because we need the truth of the gospel once we understand it to spread far and wide there's so many people in the city so many in the northwest that don't know and haven't heard and haven't had the privilege of coming to an understanding of the reality of the grace of God they haven't had this moment of fearing and revering the sovereign God praise Jesus somebody told me but your workplace needs to know. Your family needs to know. Your street needs to know. Some of you will, will step into things like the internship and the college because we need an increasing amount of people that feel trained and equipped and envisioned and mobilized to get out and shape the eternal future of the lives of people in this city and beyond. I know it's a risk, 
but it's a risk. But the other word for risk is really just faith. It still amazes me that somebody risked on me. I, I would not have chosen me, but Jesus chose me with scandalous grace, and that scandalous grace allows others to then believe in me. Rahab's this recipient of scandalous grace, as are all of us. Rahab feared and revered the sovereign God, and then finally, Rahab risked it all for the spread of God's glory. If the king had discovered these Jewish spies in Rahab's home, just think of the consequences of that for her. She and her family would have been executed immediately. It, this, this was treason. Her life was on the line through her choosing of this. And yet we read in Hebrews 11, verse 31, it says this, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab makes it onto the list of heroes that we read about in Hebrews 11. She's a hero of faith, not because of rituals or religious alignment or activities. She's a hero because she put her life and everything dear to her on the line for the Lord, trusting him without hesitation, without qualification, and without reservation. She risked it all, going against everything in the culture that would have at that time been around her. She risked it all so that the people of God might take Jericho for the glory of God. And according to James, she was considered righteous for what she did. Are we willing to do that with our lives? Are we willing, willing to take risks in obedience to God's word because we revere the sovereign God who has saved us by scandalous grace? Thousands of years after Rahab risked her life, are we willing to risk what is comfortable and what is dear and what is precious to us? Are we willing to go against the grain of culture around us, even the sub-Christian culture that so often surrounds us? Are we willing to take some risk for the glory of God's name? What have you got to risk? What pride, what reputation, what time, what living, how or where you want to live. I think we get to risk it and we get to risk it all. Rahab risked it all to the glory of God, that the glory of God might be known and might be spread. What are we going to risk that the glory of God might be spread in this city, that in your workplace, unless you blow your cover, others might not know or have the chance to know. That unless you invite your neighbor round for a meal, they might not know or have the chance to know the radical hospitality and the welcome that you're freely able to give and offer as a follower of Jesus. You see, faith really risks. But we have to also risk on each other. I can't trust you because... I can't relate to you because I remember when you, and in those moments, <clears throat> we get to extend scandalous grace to each other. I think it's so easy to <clears throat> get into bad habits 
And it's so easy to hold on to moments that cause us to lack grace. Well, they could never lead a small group because three years ago they turned up two minutes late. <laughs> I know I kind of joke, but they're, they're the kind of things, aren't they? They could never be involved in doing that because when I first met them, they offered me a cup of tea and they left the tea bag in for too long. I know I give you absolutely ridiculous examples. And there's kind of two reasons why I do. Firstly, because when I came up with quite good examples, I thought I'm, I'm sailing too close to the wind for many of you to be able to accept it. And secondly, because the more I thought about it, I thought surely that's how Jesus feels. When we're faced with such scandalous grace that then we lack grace for other people. It's, it's almost embarrassing. I beg Jesus would help me to understand his grace that I might freely leak it to others. It's fascinating. I actually think the weekend away is an amazing opportunity, one, to build community, but also extend grace because there's no two ways about it. It creates moments where we often have to and need to for each other. Matthew 13, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live here right among us. Where did he learn all these things? They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. As a result, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own town and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles because of their unbelief. Imagine if our lack of grace, our lack of understanding and living it out limited what Jesus might do among us and in us and through us and in this church and in this city. Surely we would therefore, with a fresh understanding, want to be people that fall on our faces just to grasp again how scandalous that grace is, to be recipients of it, to fear and revere the sovereign Lord and then to be people that risk it all for the spread of his glory. Why don't, why don't we stand together and do just that? Just to acknowledge some of you will be new in this room this morning, just going to spend some time resting and waiting on the Holy Spirit. And I think it often helps if we close our eyes to do that. I don't want to force you to do that. We just want to focus on him, not on each other. So, Lord, we welcome you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Grace upon grace upon grace.
feel like a number of you will be tormented by your past. It's like you're, you're forgiven by him, but you can't forgive yourself. And I think we come again before the grace of Jesus. And all crimson stain becomes whiter than the whitest of snow. As we as we stand here and just rest in God's presence, I think it's a really good opportunity for us, each of us, to search our hearts, um, to ask ourselves the questions. Where do we perhaps need to receive grace? And where do we need to extend it? As, as Paul was sharing, I had um, two quite vivid pictures um, came into my mind. There was one of a person um, with bandages on their, their hands and their fingers and their legs and their toes, just bandages, bandages everywhere, um, and a sense that there's perhaps someone that feels um, bound. You just can't, you can't break free from um, something that you're, um, you've maybe been struggling with for a while. Um, and the other picture was of someone um, being given a beautiful um, bunch of flowers um, and you're arranging it in, um, in this beautiful, just really clear um, glass vase and you poured in the water. Um, and as you, were, you lifted the vase to, to, to place it um, in your home, um, the place that you picked, um, it slipped through your hands and smashed on the floor. And... Um, there's glass everywhere, there's water everywhere, the flowers are everywhere. And this person of the picture that I had just wept bitterly. And it was like, yeah, just like the, the final straw, just feeling like that is a picture of my life right now. I've broken pieces, broken pieces everywhere. And um, I just want to say to you, whoever you are, if that resonates, that... God is there in the broken pieces, and this isn't the end of the story. Um, and he, there is always, there's always healing, there's always redemption, there's always a way back. Um, so if you feel like you're at the end of yourself, if you just look around and you just see broken pieces, there is, there is hope to be found in Jesus. Mm. Just before we respond, I also feel... Um, some of you, there's like a repetitive, habitual um, drawing into things. It's like some of it's sin, but some of it's you just can't break um, even free from uh, like a mindset. You're just drawn to like an anxiety and a worry and a trepidation over things, or you're constantly reminding of stuff. I just believe there's a grace for that this morning. I believe that the Lord is going to pour hope into some of you. He's going to break some of it through his grace and his goodness over us, I think, as well. There's some of you, it's even like it's manifest physically. Even now, as I say, I think some of you can feel a tension in your shoulders and your upper neck. That's almost like the, the tension in your um, in, emotionally is responding to you physically. I also think there's somebody, um, particularly like the lower part of your right knee is, is in pain and it's weak. It's like you... 
it's like you could collapse um, as you walk because of the pain. I think some of you, that's a, it's like, um, it's a symbolic thing. But some of you actually think it's a physical thing. It's like the Lord wants to strengthen you. He wants to strengthen your knees, but also just bring some restoration where the enemy's tr been trying to debilitate you and take you out and cause you to be off balance. I think that's a. Uh, I think that it's not just a knee thing. Actually, I think it's a back thing, as well. Some of you have repetitive back problems, and some of you have, um, like, uh, as you feel it on the right side of my stomach. There's like, um, it's quite an intense pain in your stomach. It's like a knot in your stomach, um, and some of you that will actually then have physical consequences. I just believe that there is a, there's a. As often we do, we see breakthrough with healing, but there's there's a there's the grace of God to be poured out in new measure this morning. I would, I want to encourage you come and drink and drink deeply of it. So let's do that now. Let's just come to Jesus. If you'd like to to receive prayer then why don't you come come to the front now and we'll make sure that someone comes and prays with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.